I'm Stephanie Lemick, and this is Building Trauma-Informed Workplaces. I am so excited to kick off our second season today. If you joined us for last season, you'll know that we spent a lot of time in our initial season talking about some of the basics. What is trauma? How it shows up at work? And we learn more about the seven principles of trauma-informed workplace cultures. If you haven't had a chance to listen, I highly recommend checking out our previous season to learn some of the basics. And for those of you who'd like a Cliff Notes version, we do have some special episodes from the end of last season, highlights from season one. I recommend this because of course, having that baseline knowledge and understanding of what it means to be trauma-informed and the tools we look to to build trauma-informed workplaces is super helpful as we move into our season two discussions. For season two, I'm really excited to shift our focus slightly to engage in more conversations with individuals who are doing work supporting trauma-informed workplaces and trauma-informed systems and facets of our lives. Some of these individuals may be directly tied to trauma work, and some of these individuals may have a unique approach or perspective based on their work or work environments. So I'm really excited to shift our focus and have more engaging and interesting conversations. I'm a big believer that when we are able to open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, and listen to the stories others have to share, we really give ourselves a gift, but we give others a gift of greater understanding. Today, we won't be joined by a guest. I spent a lot of time talking about how excited I am to have more guests this season talking about some of their work. But before we dive into some of those great conversations, I really wanted to spend some time in this first episode, especially this first episode of a new year, talking about something that is resonating with me personally as we are engaging in a new calendar year. And I also think it is something that is really powerful and often not considered when we look at the workplace and how we build better workplaces for everyone, how we build those trauma-informed workplaces. And that topic is on self-acceptance. If you've also read some of the articles by the Wounded Workforce, or if you joined us for our January panel discussion, you know that self-acceptance is absolutely a hot button. And you probably know a little bit more about what we're talking about and why it's so powerful. But to make sure we're all on the same page, like always, I'd love for us to start with a shared understanding of what it means when we talk about self-acceptance. I love that with self-acceptance, it actually is what it sounds like. A lot of times we use this terminology and it may not, you know, conjure the idea that actually represents the definition, but self-acceptance really does. And it's the state of complete acceptance of oneself. True self-acceptance is embracing who you are without any qualifications, conditions, or exceptions. Now, a lot of times when we say that or we talk about self-acceptance or acceptance, the initial reaction for some of us may be, well, you know, we'll change. We, I still want to work on myself. I still want to get better. 
that is absolutely compatible with self-acceptance. Self-acceptance doesn't mean that you're not going to change. All of us change, of course, and our self-acceptance is going to kind of flex with those changes as well to who we are throughout our lives. It might be helpful to think about self-acceptance as acceptance of yourself now and acceptance of who you can become. So I love that framing. Self-acceptance isn't just about you right now. Of course, it's an important component, but it's also about the you you can become that is attainable. It's important to note, though, that self-acceptance is also about recognizing what you will not become as well, accepting that and being okay with it. You know, what is not attainable to you and accepting it. That sounds like a lot. And and it can be really challenging for us to let go of what we can never be, um, especially if it's something, you know, really important to us or, you know, something that we've been fixated on for a long time or something that, you know, society really looks up to and rewards. So it can feel really challenging to let go of, you know, who you can never be. It's also really powerful because think about all the time, all the energy you can devote to the things you actually can control in your life when you kind of let go of those things that are out of your control as it relates to your self-acceptance. And again, this is another piece where we really want to make sure we're not thinking about this as a limiting belief. When we say let go of those things you can never be or, or that are not available to you, it's, it's about focusing on the reality of ourselves and what we can and cannot change. It's not about limiting ourselves. It's about being realistic. And sometimes, you know, realism um, doesn't get, you know, a lot of play when we're talking about self-development, self-improvement. But I think it's really important, and especially in a world and in an era where we are constantly inundated by people showcasing perfection on social media um, in their lives. I think it's so important for us to acknowledge, you know, those things about us that aren't going to change and just aren't accessible to us. And the best example I can think of for this, if you're like, okay, well, what, what do you mean? Like, what can never change or what you can't control. And this is a really simple one. I'm 5'4", and that's a generous 5'4". I'm a, I'm a short woman, and I am never going to be 5'11". I'm never going to be, you know, this tall, statuesque woman, you know, with this great presence when she walks in a room because she's so tall. Focusing on not being tall accomplishes nothing. I can't change anything about that fundamentally. I can't decide, you know, I'm somehow going to be 5'11 or beat myself up for not being 5'11. It limits to me and I cannot overcome and move forward. It doesn't mean I can't accomplish some of my goals in a different way. So if I want to, you know, look tall for a photo or, you know, have presence in a room, you know, I could wear different clothes or wear heels, things like that. But it's letting go of the idea that I want to be 5'11 and accepting that that's not available to me. 
and moving forward from that so I can focus on being the best version of myself. So being the best version of what is actually accessible to me. So having those moments, that realization, that self-acceptance can be really, really powerful and very freeing. Um, You know, in our panel discussion, we had a ton of great conversation, great insights from the ladies who joined us. And if if you haven't had a chance to listen, it is on the Wounded Workforce YouTube page accessible to you um, as well. But I have to highlight, you know, what my friend Geraldine Roberts said. And she talked about, you know, her struggles with self-acceptance and all the weight that gets put on you of expectations, expectations of yourself, expectations from others, her unique perspective as often being and only as a Black woman, especially in corporate environments, how that expectation, that weight of representation builds and builds and builds, how it gets in the way of self-acceptance. And she encouraged each of us to, you know, take off the cape. We are not superheroes. We are not superwomen. We don't have to be. And when we recognize that, when we recognize what we can't be, which is everything to everyone, it's really freeing and meaningful. So, so grateful to Gerilyn for that amazing, amazing insight and her candor as always. If you can't tell, I'm a big fan. We have this baseline definition. What is self-acceptance? And that's that state of complete acceptance of oneself. And I'm going to add it in because it's so powerful. It is embracing who you are now and who you can become. So what are some common misconceptions of self-acceptance? I think this is one of the reasons we don't talk about self-acceptance enough in the workplace is because the self-acceptance misconceptions really work against some of the things we tell people about, you know, personal growth and development, you know, developing as a manager, as a leader, as an individual contributor. But it's important for us to point out that these are misconceptions. And self-acceptance doesn't equate to some of these things or works in a different way than we may think, especially as it relates to the workplace. First misconception I want us to talk about is self-acceptance means you don't have to work on yourself. It's probably the most common misconception. As I brought it up in this discussion, hey, maybe you thought this yourself. The idea that once you accept yourself, you don't have anything to work on and grow is completely a Self-acceptance isn't about achieving perfection. So there's nothing to work on. That's not the point of self-acceptance. That's actually really not a realistic idea for any of us to attain to, this idea of perfection. So we can't wait for perfection to practice self-acceptance. It's kind of a like a push-pull chicken-egg situation here. If we waited until we were perfect and there was nothing to work on to practice self-acceptance, we'd never practice self-acceptance. And by not practicing self-acceptance, that gets in the way of focusing on what we can control, how we can get better, how we can have better impact to our own lives and the lives of those people around us we care about. So self-acceptance gives us the power to better understand where we are and to work to improve without 
judgment for not being perfect. And that's the real key here. It's not about not growing, not changing, not getting better. It's about doing it without judging yourself, giving up self-judgment for not being perfect. I, you know, as I'm saying this here, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm ready to like jot that on a sticky note and put it on my mirror to look every day. Because I think that self-judgment is something so many of us engage in. Aspiring to grow and progress as an individual absolutely works in partnership with self-acceptance and self-compassion. I can't wait to talk a little bit more about self-compassion later. Spoiler alert, I'm terrible at self-compassion. We'll get to that. The next common misconception of self-acceptance is that it's lazy, make me complacent. I think this, again, gets back to that you don't have to work on yourself. Self-acceptance, again, is not about never changing or avoiding growth. It's about removing that self-judgment and focusing on and acknowledging both your strengths and imperfections as what they are and moving forward. So that helps us enhance our efforts to grow and develop. It's really not about becoming late. It's about moving from, you know, this harsh sense of self-judgment, shame, and moving forward with a curiosity and an energy around growth and who we can become. Another common misconception, this is our last kind of big misconception we'll tackle, is that self-acceptance is narcissistic or selfish. You cannot be the best leader, best friend, best manager, best peer, parent, whatever, without investing in yourself first. You can't be the best version of you and whatever relationship you hold with others without investing in yourself first. So caring for yourself and accepting you as you are today and who you can become helps you be a better whatever that is. It is very much like that old saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't bring your best self to your relationships and various roles in your life without investing in yourself first. It's also important to know that self-acceptance helps you bring an authentic, genuine version of yourself to the relationships and roles you have within your life. And it's also great, you know, self-acceptance, self-compassion. When you're practicing that over and over towards yourself, you're going to have a well of that to extend to others as well. There's this amazing quote, one of my favorite yoga instructors shares with us often, may the kindness you wish to see in the world start within yourself. We've had a pretty good introduction to self-acceptance, what it is, and dispelled some common misconceptions. But let's talk a little bit more about how self-acceptance can support us in our personal growth and development. One thing we do talk a lot about at work is self-awareness. We talk about self-awareness in the workplace a lot as a tool for improvement and growth, Um, And I agree, self-awareness is important for us all, especially for leaders and managers in the workplace. 
However, without self-acceptance, self-awareness can really only take us so far in our development. And I think that's the real miss when we think about self-awareness practices that traditionally are very heavily, you know, part of our personal growth and development, corporate growth, learning and development programs. So when we couple self-awareness and self-acceptance together, it's really one of the most powerful development combos around. Self-acceptance supports self-awareness and empowers you to be more self-aware, to be more impactful in a variety of ways. And I'd love to highlight a few of them here. So reducing judgment and denial. Self-acceptance encourages individuals to acknowledge and accept their emotions, thoughts, and behaviors without harsh self-judgment or denial. And a lot of times those harsh self-judgments or denials are a lot of the reasons we avoid accepting, being aware of some of the not so great aspects of our behavior or personality. So this open attitude fosters a deeper level of self-awareness. And as people become more willing to explore their experiences honestly, they can do a better job of understanding their impacts on others. Another way self-acceptance helps us with self-awareness is in exploring our motivations. It allows individuals to explore motivations, desires, and values without, again, that fear of self-criticism or judgment. And this can help you understand the why you're making certain choices or behaving in certain ways. So think about, you know, the last time you got really angry and you took a step back and instead of being judgmental of yourself, you know, really dug into the why and the understanding and how much better you can be at you know, managing your reactions, avoiding triggering situations, when you understand your motivations, your desires, your values, or those things that are triggering for you as well. When people are more accepting of themselves, they're more likely to delve into their true interests, passions, and aspirations, leading to a clearer understanding of who and what they want from life. So, you know, really being able to engage in this authentic self-exploration can be a very meaningful aspect of that partnership between self-acceptance and self-awareness. Next one, I am a huge proponent of this as a strengths coach, but embracing and leveraging your greatest strengths. And this is one of the reasons I love Clifton Strengths through Gallup is because it is focused on how you can leverage your greatest strengths, your greatest talents to be the best version of yourself instead of fixating on judgment around our weaknesses. And last but certainly not least, one of my favorite, favorite reasons to practice self-acceptance is that it can help reduce defensive reaction. When we accept ourselves, we are less likely to react defensively to feedback or criticism. And it is easier for us to navigate through feedback in a meaningful and impactful way for ourselves and for those around us. Obviously, self-acceptance is great. And there are a ton of tools out there to practice self-awareness, but you might be thinking, hey, Stephanie, how can I actually incorporate a self-acceptance practice in my day-to-day? Well, you're in luck because I really need to incorporate a self-acceptance practice in my day-to-day life 
So I have a few ideas to share with you on ways to practice self-acceptance and kind of build that self-acceptance muscle. First, practice self-forgiveness. You know, consider, are you holding on to mistakes you've made in the past or things you wish you could do over? It's time to let those go and move forward. Take time to forgive yourself for those things in the past that you're hanging on to. If it helps, write a letter of forgiveness to yourself. And you don't have to show that to anyone. Um, you know, maybe it's a journal entry if you enjoy journaling. But, you know, really make an effort and practice forgiveness for yourself, for those things you're hanging on to. Next, focus on learning from future mistakes. Listen, we're human. We are all making mistakes all the time. So the next time you make a mistake, instead of jumping to self-judgment, focus on what you can learn moving forward. Understand neuroplasticity. Y'all, I love neuroplasticity. I'm talking about the concept of neuroplasticity. It is the brain's capacity to continue growing and evolving in response to life experiences. While some believe this is limited to children, current research actually shows the brain can continue growing and changing throughout our entire lifespan. So this means that it's possible to change dysfunctional patterns of thinking and behaving and develop new mindsets, memories, skills, and new abilities. Engage in positive self-talk. If you engage in negative self-talk, it's, it's pretty much the reverse of that. Um, so instead of telling yourself what's wrong, make a conscious effort to point out what's good and things about yourself you're proud of. You can also rely on mantras to help tap into positivity. Um, you know, some examples are, I am enough. I get better every day. I am a good and caring person, etc. You know, any of those things that really resonate with you um, and help you tap into that positive self-talk. Notice when you slide into self-judgment. Keep track of that, you know, self-judgment, that little self-judgment voice, self-critical voice that slips into your head and work to shift those thoughts to acceptance. And this is a pretty fun one. Practice unconditional acceptance of others. When we extend unconditional acceptance of others and move away from judgment altogether, voice of judgment starts to recede in our mind. And that can help us in that journey to self-acceptance. Practice not judging others as a way to stop judging yourself. Next, I want to talk a little bit about self-compassion. I gave you a little spoiler earlier in the podcast that I am not good at self-compassion. And I think self-compassion is this interesting concept. And we talked about it a little bit in our panel discussion. But, you know, I had to dive in and learn more um, after that conversation. And I'm so, I'm so glad I did. Um, so... Self-compassion is a really amazing concept that works so well within this idea of self-acceptance. And oftentimes it is provided as an alternative to self-esteem. So moving away from the idea of self-esteem to focusing on self-compassion. What is self-compassion? Another definition for you, I know. So self-compassion is a concept developed by psychologist Kristen Neff, and it involves treating oneself with kindness and understanding, especially during difficult times and when facing personal failures. 
So you can see how this would be very helpful as it relates to supporting self-acceptance and non-judgment. Self-compassion consists of three main components. Self-kindness, being understanding and gentle with yourself rather than harshly self-critical. Instead of berating yourself for mistakes, self-compassion encourages a nurturing and supportive attitude. Next, common humanity. Recognizing that suffering and challenges are part of the shared human experience. Understand that everyone makes mistakes and faces difficulties. That helps you understand that you're not alone in your struggles. And finally, mindfulness. Being aware of your thoughts and feelings without being overwhelmed by them. Mindfulness allows us to observe our emotions with a balanced perspective fostering a greater sense of emotional resilience. Research suggests that self-compassion is associated with greater emotional resilience, accurate self-concepts, caring relationship behavior, and less narcissism and reactive anger compared to self-esteem. You're probably like, Stephanie, how do you know you're terrible at self-compassion? Well, there is a quiz. And like any self-respecting millennial, of course, I'm a sucker for a quiz. So I will make sure this is linked in the show notes, but um, Dr. Neff on her website talking about self-compassion has a great quiz on your own relationship with self-compassion. The quiz notes that the average overall self-compassion scores tend to be around three on a one to five scale, and you can interpret your score accordingly. So one to 2.5, indicates your overall self-compassion is low. My score was 2.38. And I don't share that with you to be, um, you know, funny or to make you feel bad for me. I share that with you because I think it's something that's important for us to work on. And sometimes those of us who are very focused on helping and supporting others, sometimes we really fall down when it comes to supporting and building ourselves up, creating that space, that self-care for self-compassion and self-acceptance. You know, I'll end with a little bit of a story on how I came to a place, how my lack of self-acceptance was really limiting my potential. It wasn't helping me. I have a regular yoga practice. I have been doing hot yoga for uh, a little over a year now. And it has been amazing and really helpful in so many ways. And if you're familiar with yoga, you know, dance studios, workout studios, you may be familiar, a lot of them have mirrors. And so I had been religiously avoiding the mirrors um, during my yoga practices. So I'm going, you know, five days a week to yoga and making sure I'm about as far away from here as I could be. Got to class, you know, one day, probably about six months ago, a little bit later than I usually would, and only spots were available right in front of the mirrors. So begrudgingly, I, I did. I, I, you know, wandered up to a space in the front row right in front of the mirrors. And it was great. I had a good practice. I, you know, could see myself practicing in the mirror. And, you know, whatever, I didn't think a lot of it. Um, I was uncomfortable. 
I, you know, at some point staring at yourself in the mirror became a, a very uncomfortable feeling for me. And the next day, Bonnie, who I practice with quite frequently, she, she comes to yoga as well. She has been practicing for a long time and she's fantastic. And she, you know, shared with me, oh, it's so great to have you up in the front row. It was really nice to practice with you up here and your energy. And I'm like, I enjoyed that. It was a really nice compliment. And I was like, very awkwardly like, yeah, oh, it's just, it's hard to be in front of the mirror. It, it's hard to look at myself in the mirror. And Bonnie shared, you know, hey, but th this is your practice and you're, you're on your mat and your mat is safe. And so let go of that and, and, and try to move past that. And I invite you to come practice up at the front row more. I practice up in the front row almost every class now. And some days it's hard. I'll be honest. Some days I still struggle looking at myself in the mirror, watching my practice, moving from, you know, correcting, you know, that self-judgment to, you know, correcting and getting better. But that invitation was super powerful to me to have someone say, you know, you're safe. It's okay. Make space for yourself and build and grow even when it's a little uncomfortable. And that moment really stuck with me. It has been incredibly impactful. And self-acceptance, listen, some days I really struggle. But it's a journey. It's a practice. It's something for us all to try and get better at. And because I feel I was so gifted with this unique invitation to self-acceptance, perhaps Bonnie knew what she was doing, perhaps not quite. Um, I, you know, really want in this year as much as I can to invite you to practice self-acceptance and see what a difference it can make for you, for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is always a privilege to have you listen in. Until next time, be well.